0: passage today picks up in joshua chapter 20 joshua 20 verse 1 the lord said to joshua say to the people of israel appoint the cities of refuge of which i spoke to you through moses now remember a city of refuge this is a place where people can be protected all right this is where if somebody Kill somebody by accident. If it's a manslaughter thing, if you you drop, if you're swinging an axe and the axe head came off and it hit somebody and killed them by accident, you could go to these cities of refuge that God set up across Israel, and there would be no there would be no blood vendetta against you. That the manslayer who strikes any person without intent and unknowingly may flee there. In other words, there's no premeditation here. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with him. Notice, they'll give him a place. These cities of refuge had to be known for their hospitality. They would give the man a place to live. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, They shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. In other words, folks, accidents happen. Accidents do happen. And you know what? You just have to accept that. Now, that does not mean mean the, the pain of a loved one's death is any less, but, you know, I'm sorry, accidents happen. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is the high priest at that time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and to his own home, to the town from which he fled. Notice his own town and to his own home. But he has to remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest at that time. So they set apart Kedish in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness of the Tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These are the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them so there was one set of laws for israel for both alien living among them as well as for the jew living among them they didn't they did not change the laws of, because of prejudice that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he has stood before the congregation chapter 21 verse 1 Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eliezer the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. Now, some of our groups, we've gotten to go to Shiloh and others of our groups, we've not gotten to go to Shiloh. A lot depends on the peace and order situation. A lot depends on the weather. Shiloh is a big outdoor area. But Shiloh is where... The Ark of the Covenant was for like 350 years. This is where the prophet uh, Eli ministered, all right? Uh, In fact, they found the cave that Eli lived in. Uh, And it's a beautiful area. It's kind of low, and then the hills around it, you can see all the tribes coming and camping all around where the Ark of the Covenant would be. And this is where the land was distributed, was it Shiloh and the lord commanded through moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock so by the command of the lord the people of israel gave to the levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance so the Levites should have a place to live the preachers in other words should have a place to live among the people the lot came out for the clans of the kohanites so those levites who were descended of aaron the priest received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin, 13 cities. Now, uh, the Kohenites, you'll, you'll still see Jews with the last name Kohen. These are all believed to be descendants from Aaron, the high priest. They are considered the priestly line even to this day, the Kohen family. The rest of the Kohenites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim and from the tribe of Dan and the half-tribe of Manasseh 10 cities the Gershonites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar from the tribe of Asher and from the tribe of Natali and the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan 13 cities now notice you have the Cohenites you have the Gershonites and you have two groups of Cohenites and you have the Maronites according to their clans received from the tribe of Reuben the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Zebulun, 12 cities. Now, all of these are families within the Levitical priesthood. These cities and their pasture lands, the people of Israel gave by lot to the Levites as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Out of the tribe of the people of Judah and the tribe of the people of Simeon, they gave the following cities mentioned by name, which went to the descendants of Aaron, one of the clans of the Kohenites who belonged to the people of Levi since the lot fell to them first. And they gave them Kiriath Abra, which Abra being the father of Anak, that is in Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, along with the pasture lands around it. But the fields of the city and his villages had been given to Caleb, the son of Jehunneh, as his possession. And through the descendants of Aaron the priest, they gave Hebron, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with his pasture lands, Libna with his pasture lands, Jeter with his pasture lands, and Ishtamah with his pasture lands. Holon with his pasture lands, Debir with his pasture lands, En with his pasture lands, Judah with his pasture lands, Beshemish with his pasture lands, nine cities out of the two tribes. Then, out of the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with his pasture lands, Giba with his pasture lands, and Anathoth with his pasture lands, Almon with his pasture lands, four cities. And to the cities of the descendants of Aaron the priest were all in all thirteen cities with their pasture lands. As to the rest of the Kohenites, belonging to the Kohenite clans of the Levites, the cities allotted to them were out of the tribe of Ephraim. To them were given Shechem, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasture lands. In the hill country of Ephraim, Gezer with its pasture lands. Kibzaim with his pasture lands, Beth Horon with his pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Dan, Alteke with his pasture lands, Gibbethon with his pasture lands, Aljalon with his pasture lands, Gath Ramon with his pasture lands, four cities. And out of the half tribe of Manasseh, the Anak with his pasture lands, and Gath Ramon with his pasture lands, two cities. The cities of the clans of the rest of the Kohonites were ten in all their pasture lands. And to the Gershonites, this is another family of, the, of Levi, one of the clans of the Levites were given out of the half-tribe of Manasseh, Golan and Bashan with, with his pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, and Beshtarah with his pasture lands, two cities. Now notice, the Levites controlled the cities of refuge. In other words, these spiritual leaders actually had a city where they could make sure that innocent people who had killed somebody by accident were kept safe. Verse 28, and out of the tribe of Issachar, Kishion with his pasture lands, Dabarath with his pasture lands, Jarmuth with his pasture lands, En Ganim with his pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Asher, Mishal with his pasture lands, Abdon with his pasture lands, Helkath with his pasture lands, Rehob with his pasture lands, four cities and out of the tribe of Natali, Kadesh in Galilee with his pasture lands, a city of refuge for the manslayer, Hamathor, with his pasture lands, and Kartan with his pasture lands, three cities. The cities of the several clans of Gershonites were in all 13 cities with their pasture lands, and to the rest of the Levites, the Merite clans were given out of the tribe of Zebulun, Jok- Ni'am with his pasture lands, Karta with his pasture lands, Dimna with his pasture lands, Nahalal with, with, with his pasture lands, four cities, and out of the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with his pasture lands, Jahaz with his pasture lands, Kedemoth with his pasture lands, Methahath with his pasture lands, four cities. And out of the trap of Gad, Ramoth in Gilead with his pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, Mahanaim with his pasture lands, Hashbon with his pasture lands, Jazir with his pasture lands, four cities in all. As for the cities of several Merite clans, that is, the remainder of the clans of the Levites, those allotted to them were in all twelve cities. And the cities of the Levites, in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel, were forty-eight cities with their pasture lands. Each of these cities had its pasture lands around it, so it was with all these cities. Now, we keep seeing the word pasture land, pasture land, pasture land. Why? I thought the Israel I thought the, the Levites were not to do any business. They were to be given full time to the ministry. That's correct. But I want you to remember there were no grocery stores in those days to go buy milk. There, there were no, no grocery stores and markets to go buy meat. Every family had its own little flock of sheep and goats, and that's where they got their their wool that could be woven into their clothes. That's where they got their meat to eat. That's where they got their, their milk from the, the, the lambs and some of the goat milk also. That, that's where they got their food to eat. So yes, every family needed a little pasture lad, okay because you know there weren't banks okay this this is this is how you lived in those days. you everybody had their little their little herd, their little flock, and that's how you fed your family. That's how you put clothes onto your the backs of your families. all right so it wasn't a business. it was more like uh, a fully integrated <laughs> clothing and and food source, all right. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore, verse 43, to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled in it. And the Lord gave them rest. Now here's a beautiful truth. The Lord gave them rest on every side just as he has sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Now this is something God did. So all right, God gave peace by defeat of enemies. God gave peace by the defeat of their enemies. And here is a great verse. Not one word of all the good promises that God made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Now beloved, sometimes I tell you, you read through long passages like this and it looks like what does this have to do with my life? because all of a sudden you find something like this. God has never changed. Not one word of all the promises that the Lord made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. God has not changed, beloved. There's a lot of things we look at and because we're looking at it right now in the present, we don't understand. But if you will just be patient, faith and patience inherits the promises. All of God's promises will come true for you. God will not let one of the promises he has made fall to the ground and fail. All of God's promises come to pass. Faith and patience receives the promises. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
1: The river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billows roll Whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say It is well with my soul No Satan should buffet, the trial should come, That this blessed assurance control. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross. The ah, faith shall reside, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall be sound, and the Lord shall descend even so
0: Our New Testament passage today picks up in Luke chapter 22, verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Now now notice, destroy Jesus. Why? Because they feared the people. See, the people were flocking to Jesus. Remember, Holy Week was a great revival week. And when the people were flocking to Jesus, because they were afraid of those people flocking to Jesus, they wanted to kill Jesus. You know, when you really begin to study the Scriptures and you begin to see what motivates the hearts of people and what motivates hatred, You know, hatred is often motivated because people love someone and um, you're afraid of those people that love them. It's a fascinating thought. Then Satan entered into Judas called called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve. All right, so one of the twelve became Satan-possessed. Now... This is where people always ask me, well, Pastor, can a Christian become demon-possessed? And I always answer them, no. And they say, but Judas was an apostle and he was Satan-possessed. But I want you to notice, Judas had been a thief for a long time. Judas had slowly been turning, slow turn. He'd been slowly turning away from God. Money had gotten into him, and he was slowly turning away from God. So I do not believe a Christian can be demon-possessed. Why? Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of God. And also, you have to understand, the apostles were saved by faith in the promise to come, just like Moses was saved, just like Isaiah was saved, just like David was saved by believing in the Messiah to come. Today, that salvation has been realized, and the Holy Spirit has come, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So forgive me, there's no room for a demon. So on multiple levels of theology, I would say, no, as a Christian, you cannot be demon possessed. I did not say a church a church person can't be demon-possessed. There are many people that are very religious and go to church every week. There, there are actually religious spirits, I believe, and they can get possessed. But notice, Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. Now, when we first see this demon-possession, if we put together the, the Holy Week chronology, which I taught you earlier, this would have been on Tuesday night after the correction. Because on Wednesday was the betrayal. Wednesday was the betrayal. So Tuesday night, after Jesus corrected Judas for stirring up all the strife about him receiving the beautiful gift of the uh, anointing with the alabaster vial, it was after that correction that Judas became demon-possessed. And That's a fascinating thought. People who reject correction... He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. All right, so this took place on Wednesday. But I notice it was a conference, it was a discussion. Okay, this is our goal. How are we going to do this? So they had a conference, they, they discussed together how he might betray him. To them. Now notice the hymn. Always remember betrayal is person specific. And betrayal is group specific. Now, Judas didn't want to betray Jesus to the Romans, okay? Not the Romans. Jesus didn't Judas did not want to betray Jesus to the Romans but he would be willing to betray him to the chief priests so it's very everything about betrayal is extremely specific everything about rebellion is very specific now notice he only wanted to betray him not the apostles he didn't want to betray all of his friends he he wanted to maintain those relationships you one of the things you find about betrayal is betrayal always wants to keep their friends. They just want to betray one person. But they want to hang on to all their friends. They want everybody to stay their friends on Facebook. They want everybody to stay friends and have their you know their, their food adventures together. They, they want to keep their friends. They just want to betray a leader. Okay? Want to betray him to them. So betrayal is extremely specific. It is person-specific as to who? And it is group specific as to to whom. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. <laughs> now, yeah, hey, this guy who's close to Jesus is going to help us kill Jesus. And they were glad. See, betrayal always makes some people glad, okay? Betrayal gladdens the heart of enemies. Now, it brings pain to the person who's betrayed, but it brings joy to the heart of enemies. And one of the things I, you'll often hear me teach about betrayal is your betrayer is not your enemy, but your betrayer identifies your enemies. Who does your betrayer go to for support? Who does your betrayer go to for help? Ah. And when you begin to see who the betrayer goes to, That's when you recognize who the real enemies are. So he consented and sought for an opportunity to betray him. Now notice, not not all the apostles, to betray him to them. There's that specificness again, all right? In the absence of a crowd, that was the condition, okay? That was the condition of the chief priests. We, We don't want a crowd around because we're afraid of the people. Now, always remember, betrayers are looking for an opportunity. Now, where did that opportunity come? That opportunity came in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew Jesus. Now, see, that's the thing that a betrayer has. A betrayer has knowledge. They know you. They know how to look for an opportunity to betray you. Then on the day, then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go prepare the Passover for us that we may eat of it. And they said, Where will you have us prepare it? And notice it's Peter and John. And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. Now, this carrying a jar of water, I've taught you before, this would be the Essene community. Now, if that name sounds familiar, these are the guys of the Qumran scrolls. The Qumran scrolls, uh, the, the beautiful preservations of the Old Testament scriptures that they found, the Qumran tablets. In fact, in the, in the Museum of the Bible in Jerusalem, and we'll take you there on tour, you will see these 2,000-year-old these scrolls of the Old Testament perfectly laid out. It, it's fascinating. But the Essene community where Jesus chose to celebrate Passover, his last meal with the disciples, would be a safe. Place. Now, the one thing you have to understand about the Essene community is number one, they were celibate and they were committed. These were very devout Jews. The, these were, they were not part of the corruption of the Sanhedrin, they were not part of the corruption of, of the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The, these were very committed people. Just like Annas. And just like Anna, the prophetess that dedicated Jesus when he was a baby and prophesied over him, and Simeon, th- these, were, these were committed people that really loved God. Okay, These were, these were serious Jews who, who really wanted to serve God. And Jesus knew this would be a safe place. There, there'll be no spies in here. There'll be no corruption around here. These people aren't going to sell me out. And they went and found it just as he told them. Verse 13, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, he reclined a table and the apostles were with him. Now notice, reclined. He did not sit in a chair like, you know, all these fancy paintings of the Last Supper. He reclined a table. I've explained that to you. He leans on one elbow with a pillar under his side and he eats with his other hand. And his feet are out to the side. In fact, the tables we show you every year at school of the cross, the tables would look like this. And in that, because this is where they would come in to serve. Jesus would have been sitting here. John, the beloved would be sitting here and Judas would be sitting here. So you have Judas, Jesus, and John, the beloved, the three J's on that one end. All right. You can always remember it that way. He reclined at table and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And notice he's telling them I'm going to suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again. Eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when would given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body. Now notice it is bread, This is is my body. It did not turn into his body. His body was still reclining at the table there with them. So this whole thing about does the bread become the physical body of Jesus? No, it is a symbol. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. Now notice, the blood is still in Jesus' veins, but he says, this cup is a representation of his blood. So these are symbols. They do not turn into the physical body and blood of Jesus. And behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes that has it as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Now notice whom he is betrayed, not the group, just Jesus. Betrayal is always person-specific. And they began to question one another, which of them it would be who was going to do this. And a dispute also arose among them as to which of them should, was to be regarded as the greatest. So, <laughs> All right, so they're having a two-fold argument. A two-fold argument. Number one, who will betray? And number two, who is the greatest? (laughs) You can understand how that argument would happen because as as soon as they start discussing among themselves who's going to do what, in betrayal, again, people are going to begin to, no, it would never be me. Look at what I've accomplished. Okay, so you can see how the, the twofold argument quickly devolved. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader among you as the one who serves. That's the role. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Now, yes, Jesus did recline at the table and yes, others served him the food but, you know, there's always some people that want to bring that up and act as if Jesus did not have a servant's heart. And that's not true because he did serve. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. All right. So this is the role of apostles. Apostles during the one thousand year reign the 12 apostles will sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel even though they're not from all of those different tribes there's not one from each of those different tribes it's going to be different now the apostles will judge the 12 tribes simon simon behold satan demanded to have you now satan made a demand that he might sift you like wheat. All right, so notice we have a lot of satanic activity in that last holy, in that first holy week. We have satanic activity. I never give him a capital letter. We have satanic activity in Judas with possession. And we have satanic activity against Peter to sift like wheat. Now, we've talked about that. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to violently shake Peter's life. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I like that. Satan's going to shake up your life a little bit, Peter, but your faith's not going to fail. And when, not if, not if, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now I've taught that to you in detail in sermons not that long ago. And that actually occurs at Galilee when he returns to the ministry. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, not betray, deny. There's a difference. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, Nothing. He said, When I taught you, he said, When I taught you to live by faith. He said, Did did you lack anything? They said, No. He said to them, but now let one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak to buy one he says all right in the days ahead school is over okay school is over these are sometimes called the temporary commands when he sent them out with no no extra sandals no money And he said, God, of course, God provided. He said, but now school's over. Now the school is over. He said, listen, if you have a money bag, take it. Likewise, a knapsack. And he said, if you have no sword, buy one. You're going to need some protection out there. He said, it's a different day now. School's over. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said, it's enough. It's enough. Now, why did they have two swords in the upper room? I have no idea. Okay, But they had two swords there in the upper room. He said, it's enough. All right. A little bit more today. Some wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Let me also read it to you from the New Living Translation today. Is that all right? Many will say... They are loyal friends. Have you ever heard that? You know, what I have found in my short life is the more people proclaim that they're a loyal friend, the less loyal they really are. <laughs> but who can find one who is truly reliable? There's a lot of people that will promise to be loyal to you for the rest of their eternities. and But who is really truly reliable? The godly walk with integrity. That, that word literally means transparent. You're just A godly person is just transparent. What you see is what you get. There's no show. Okay, you may not like them, but that's who they are. They're, they're real. If they're upset, they're upset. If they're happy, they're happy. If they're sad, they're sad. They're just real. Blessed are their children who follow them. I like that. Blessed are the children who follow them. Look at that from the ESV. Blessed are his children after him. Now, what brings blessing to the children? Parents that are real. Now, mom and dad, I don't say this to hurt anybody, all right? But like if you come to church and you act also spiritual and you go home and curse at your children, and you go home and talk bad about all the other church members and go home and talk bad about all the pastors, um, that's not going to bring blessing upon your children. What brings blessing upon your children is that you're just real. There's no show. There's just, mom and dad, what you see is what you get. When a king sits in judgment, he weighs all the evidence, distinguishing the bad from the good. Now, now this is how to judge. You have to look at all the evidence. You have to look at everything, not just what you want to see, not just what somebody who's a friend wants you to believe. You have to weigh all the evidence, And you have to learn to distinguish between the good and the bad. ESV says he winnows out all evil with his eyes. Yeah, he he has to look through it all. Who can say I've cleansed my heart and I am pure from sin? No one. (laughs) No one. Only God can make us holy. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from sin. False weights and unequal measures, the Lord detests double standards of every kind. You can't have one set of standards for your friends and another set of standards for your enemies. You know, sometimes you have to, I looked at a businessman one time and he said, Pastor Samuel, I don't know what to do. He said, I caught caught a friend of mine who works for me stealing from the company. I said, well, what do you do if if somebody is, is caught who's not your friend and they're stealing? He said, I fire them. I said, well, then you should fire your friend, too. I said, you can't have double standards. You you have to do the same for everybody. No double standards. God detests double standards. So let's have one set of standards. Not just one, not just, this is what I think about for people who are my friends, and this is what I think about for people who are not my friends. No, no, no. That's a false weight. That's an unequal measure. That's a double standard. And God wants it the same for everybody. All right, we'll see you tonight. We're back into the book of Romans again, going through Paul's Proverbs. I'll see you tonight at seven o'clock.